0: You are listening to Revolver Podcast. Welcome to Wine and Film, a Perfect Pairing. Now, this week, Denzel Washington rides tall in the saddle in The Magnificent Seven. It's a remake of a remake. And 55-year-old Eddie Murphy stars in a very thoughtful, quiet film. He plays a personal chef and a good friend, and his name is Mr. Church.
1: And I'm wine expert Haley hamilton Cogill. Though moonshine and whiskey may be the perfect pairing for any Western, for Magnificent Seven, we'll toast with wines from California's gold mining towns in the Sierra foothills. And for Mr. Church, a Napa Valley Cabernet from a winemaker who started her career not in wine, but as a chef, winemaker Mia Klein.
0: Okay, we sat through the Magnificent Seven the other night together. Um, I'm a big fan of the old one, which yeah. is 1960, but it goes all the way back to 1954 with the great, uh, Kurosawa from Japan who made Seven Samurai. Right. You know, Seven Samurais go into a village and, and they have to protect because these bad guys are going to come revenge. and take all their crops away. Yes. And they're all going to starve. And then when they remade the film, uh, I think it was the last name is Jim Sturgis was the director of the 1960 film with Steve McQueen and Yul Brenner and Robert Culp and God, James Coburn. I mean, there it, it's, it's really one of the and that Marlboro Man yeah. the Marlboro Man theme song yeah um is is in there and that that's been an iconic film for me and that director also did the, he also did uh The Great Escape so the same director did The Great Escape and The Magnificent Seven so I have this all in my head of it's long and it's very character driven yes. but when the bad guys come they're super bad and you know you have this image in your head so I always worry about remakes of movies that I love because right. I I don't think they really should be done. right? But they are what they are. The remake of True Grit was pretty good. I, I thought I by, it. By the Coen brothers, yeah. a lot. Yeah, a lot. So this one comes along by Antoine Fuqua, who's directed Denzel before. And you have this obviously intentional, diverse cast. Mm-hmm. And so Denzel's the tall guy in the saddle. He rides in the town. A woman comes up to him. Her husband's been killed. The, the town's been half wiped out. The bad guy is what's his name? What's Peter Skarsgård. Peter Skarsgård, and Who, he's, like,
1: he always just plays. boss his hard. he just always plays a bad guy in play, some sort of way or another.
0: He plays it all the time, and he's really, he's he's, he's really just, bad. He's really bad and really evil. And the fact the opening scene of this movie, there's just a really high body count.
1: It's complete. It's violent. Yeah,
0: it's super violent.
1: Before you even see the the, the before the title rolls, you you before, are before, I think fifty people are dead. What sets up
0: the opening scene, which I kind of actually. <laughs> (laughs) liked as a movie Um, and then it sets it up so Denzel rides into town and he compiles a group of (laughs) ragtag
1: renegades you know they're all bad guys playing good guys you know
0: there's bad guys that are trying to redeem themselves and play good guys and they've got a a Native American with a bow and arrow and they've got a an Asian guy who does martial arts, and they've got a, a guy from Mexico who's really good with a gun, and then he's got uh, what's what's who's the sidekick in this film? I'm trying to think of his name. The guy we like so much,
1: Ethan Hawke.
0: Uh, well, not, well, Ethan Hawke's one of the guys too in the film. That's right. Uh, Chris Pratt.
1: Oh yeah, who's and, hilarious. And he's
0: got a lot of fun. And Vincent D'Onofrio is kind of a Grizzly Adams yeah, kind yeah. of guy. So I like all this, and I I think it's kind of fun. But it's like cliff notes to me it's not a fleshed out movie it just goes boom 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 it's a kind of a modern day take on westerns even though it takes place in the 1800s it's a fictitious town we find out later that it's shot In Baton Baton Rouge Rouge and in New Mexico. (laughs) Well, of
1: course, that's where the gold mining happened, Baton Rouge, (laughs) Louisiana.
0: But yeah, it it really is kind of a Sierra, you know, kind of, kind of thing. But, uh, and also if you look closely in the film, the art direction and the background, the mountains all look fake in the movie. Yeah, it
1: all looks completely CGI done. Yeah,
0: Yeah. which if they shot in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, it (laughs) wouldn't have, uh, you know, foothills with snow. You'd have swamp I mean, I'm going to say a million things that I think are kind of wrong with this film, but it's a real entertaining movie and it kind of, had fun watching it. I
1: think it. it's a fun, yeah, it's a fun movie. I think that it's a you know, there's some really bad westerns. There there's some bad yeah. western films trying to be done today. And this is kind of a yeah, it's just kind of a cute fun You can kind of tell they all had a really good time making the movie, kind of, kind of thing.
0: Denzel's a major presence in a movie for me. Mm -hmm. And when he rides in that saddle, it's a, it's, I don't don't want to call it iconic, but I want to, I want to look up to him because you do have the movie. Mm -hmm. Because he's in charge of this whole thing. Mm -hmm. And I I think if I was a kid going to this movie, but I'm going to make some statement about the rating. The rating's PG-13. Bridget Jones was R. This is PG-13. And that's the difference between British films and American films is we can kill Thousands of people in movies, <laughs> we can just mow them down, right? And it'll get a PG-13. But if you drop the f-bomb or you have a little bit of nudity, you're an R. Yeah. And it's it's really weird to me to watch this film and think that this is a PG-13 movie right. because it's the body count by the end of the film is just basically almost everyone you see is laid out in the in mm-hmm. street. Having said that, I kind of like watching it because. Wow. Because
1: you're not not a 12-year-old or a 13-year-old. Well, I kind of am him
0: (laughs) sometimes. And Denzel's kind of a bad A in this film. Yeah. So I I think there's something to look up to in this film and then it hits its head on the ceiling and it's never this is not going to be an iconic great film no but I think it's a worthy film and I think it's well worth the price of a ticket
1: well and I think it's it's an interesting not to compare but you did bring up true grit that mm-hmm. was redone a couple years ago with it was Jeff Bridges right yeah and Haley's Haley, Haley and Steinfeld Steinfeld yeah um, made her famous kind of the first thing and that to me just seemed more like a western yeah, oh, well, well, it was this yeah. kind? I mean, there, there was, there was definitely like a, like a, like a sense of blazing saddles in this movie.
0: <laughs> the, every once in a while, you want Burton Gilliam to come <laughs> in, into this movie and ride in and say, "More uh, beans, Mister Taggart."
1: At one point, someone actually did ask, "More beans," and and I Around leaned over and, <laughs> and said, "Mister Taggart," to you. Um, it also, I thought, was kind of interesting, just as as um, as time progresses how you know 20 years ago 40 years ago uh how how the prostitutes and the how the how the brothel ladies would have been depicted mm-hmm. they'd still be clothed maybe the maybe their shirt sleeve was kind of falling off of their their shoulder or you know it wasn't just laid out for you whereas a, a, a prostitute in today's brothel of of Western time in the 1870s, um, they're pretty much naked.
0: Yeah, they're pretty much laid out. Which there. is yeah.
1: not how. Which yeah. I just think that's it's interesting if this is supposed to be taking place in in you know back in the day. Yeah,
0: that's why I think it's a pop culture look at what at, what, what a the Western pop culture in 2016 looks at the 1880s. Right.
1: Well, and the woman, the you know the the heroine, the one who goes mm-hmm. and and recruits Denzel, like. Her boobies are hanging out the whole <laughs> time, and she's supposed to be the scorned widow. Right, and that's not
0: a sexual movie. And it's not at in, all. In, but it's not just—is not that
1: like, do they have to do that to, to, to attract an audience? I, th- I think
0: that's a choice that Antoine Fuqua made. He did Training Day, and Denzel won his Oscar for that. But he also did King Arthur with Clive Owen.
1: Oh, and Keira back Knightley. in two thousand four, yeah. and
0: Kieran Knightley. And the, and the, but he, I think Lovely. he's just I think it's kind of like Ocean's Eleven.
1: It kind of is. I think they all just had a, a, a really good time. With a lot of guns, there's more
0: guns and gunfire and and body counts and horses in this movie than in the entire state of Wyoming or in or in the museum in Cody Wyoming. Well,
1: and yes, yes. And I think that there there is just one other thing that kind of made me giggle and that is that there are lots of scenes of all the men riding on their horses. Yes, lots of them. And and you see them kind of bouncing up and down in their saddles every now and then, but then when they when they take a shot of whiskey, it's like all of a sudden they their horse has gone completely still. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, Once again the so, blazing saddle reference. Very much so. <laughs> hey, let's get to some wine about this because so, we can
0: talk about how uh, thought, all the mistakes in this movie and yet we still like
1: So uh, yeah, I yeah. thought it would be kind of fun to to pair with a <laughs> with wines from a a former gold California gold rush uh area, the Sierra Foothills, um that in the Sierra Foothills of California have been growing grapes. I'm not saying that they were making quality wine, but they mm-hmm. have definitely been growing grapes since 1856. Wow. Um, many of the big fortune seekers that had come to to California for the gold rush were Europeans that that all had kind of a taste for wine, had always grown up with wine. They would planted vineyards. Um, and then when when mining kind of fell apart and the mines closed down, then... Sierra Foothills were just kind of this kind of ragabond area. There were a bunch of prostitutes and bootleggers and it was it was kind of a, a, a crazy time. But um, in the 70s, in the nineteen seventies, the region actually kind of went through a major transformation. They became a designated uh, American viticultural area, an AVA, and and things became really began to change because they the the people that started then planting grapes in the region figured out what would do well and and it's it's such a it's it's still very um, there's not a lot out there it's it's you know kind of vast barren land but. It's got great soils. It's granite, and it's volcanic soils, and it's sandy loam, and it's elevations of 1,000 to 3,000 feet. And so the winemakers in the region that are doing things really well are, are making some pretty interesting and delicious wines that are also really affordable. And one of them that that I think early on, and when I started writing for D Magazine, I think the first interview that I did was with a gentleman named Bill Easton. He's a winemaker. He's with Terre Rouge Easton Winery. Um, in the in Sierra Nevada and uh, Amador County, Shenandoah Valley, his whole goal was to kind of create these very artisan, small production, like hundred cases, two hundred cases wines. They actually today make thirty different wines, focused on both Rhone varieties, so lots of Syrah based wines as well as Zinfandel. And his Zinfandels are what I think have really kind of um, put this little winery on the map. His Eastern Estate, Zimpendel, Shenandoah Valley. Vines were planted in the 1970s. It's lots of fruit forward characteristics. Um big, you know, kind of like ripe fig and ripe blackberry. Um, lots of spice and and kind of some really lovely texture from from smart um, use of oak, which is always kind of a, a difficult thing with with Zimpandel. but really really kind of special wines and 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 like I said, some good values. I think his whole wine ranges the whole portfolio is maybe. Twenty to forty dollars. So oh, it's all reasonably. Yeah, priced. some some really great yeah. wines for for the quality, and then kind of what you what you find in the bottle. So, if
0: those uh, Zinfandel vines were planted in the seventies, would they be considered old vines?
1: You know, it it's kind of that's it, I don't know. Am I old? Um, but
0: I am. You're not, not.
1: But that's most people when they say old vines, that that would be you know forty five years, forty six years old. Okay, so yeah. But I think when you think old vines, Zinfandel. Um, That's more like seventy years old. That's more like ninety years old. That's kind of what what the old, really gnarly wines. But they're getting there.
0: These are forty six years old. They're somewhere around there. Around in their forties. In their in their (laughs) forties.
1: It's a good age to be. It's a great age to be. I've
0: (laughs) I've heard that before. Hey, when we come back on Wine and Film, a perfect pairing. It's been four years since Eddie Murphy has actually made a film. He's back in a little movie about a personal chef, and his name is Mr. Church. And we'll be back. And we're back on wine and film—a perfect pairing. You know, funny man Eddie Murphy uh, used to interview him a lot, and and he made all these big iconic films. He made a ton of bad films. He was nominated for an Oscar for Dreamgirls. He sat out for the last four years. I understand he has nine children, wow, including a new infant baby. So no he, Eddie, so he came back to make this film because they shot it in a very short amount of time on a smaller budget than he's he's used to—hundred million dollar films. Yeah, yeah, I think this was an eight million dollar film. The, and Mr. Church, we're talking about. And, uh, but he did it because they could shoot it in 28 days, less than a month, and he could go home every night and be with his infant. Nice. So it's all, it's all in a Los Angeles based movie. It's directed by Bruce Beresford. Now that should ring a bell. He did, he directed Crimes of the Heart. Mm-hmm. He's done some really good films. He did Driving Miss Daisy and won the Oscar. And I think that was back in 89. Mm-hmm. He did Tender Mercies with Robert Duvall. One of the best Texas movies ever made. Uh, I think it was in 83. And he did an Australian film, because he's Australian, called Breaker Morant. And anybody that's older listening to this understands the greatness of Breaker Morant, which brought a, brought a lot of people to America and on the map from Australia. So along comes Mr. Church. Little tiny movie. Reminds me of a TV movie of the week. It's about an hour and 45 minutes long. I didn't hate it. I didn't love it. Hmm. I kind of liked it in places. In fact, I was teer, teary-eyed three or four times. And so he plays... The opening scene is a single mom played by Natasha McElhone, who's an Irish actress. Mm-hmm. We've seen a lot of films mm-hmm. with an American accent. And she's a single mom with a young daughter, six years old. And, uh, she has terminal cancer. That's oh. the opening scene. And her ex-lover, not the father of the kid, because the father's not around. He's, he's dead. The ex-lover has just gifted her for the last six months of her life, free rent and hired a full-time chef to come in and just kind of take care of them. And it's really sweet. And this guy shows up, and it's Eddie Murphy. (gasps) And it's 1971. And this little girl goes, why is this man in my kitchen cooking? Well, it's Eddie Murphy. And he's real thoughtful and real quiet and says, yes, ma'am. Goes home every night and comes and cooks. Well, she lives past six months. She actually lives up into the daughter into her teenage years. Nice. into high school. And he stays on. And it's this really sweet story. That's just the first half of the movie, and I don't want to give away the second half. But I think it's one of those movies that's has really big stars in it, a really great director. It's kind of overwritten, kind of belongs on a late-night movie. But if you and I rented it, Haley, one night, if we just kind of looked on Netflix or we looked on iTunes and said, Hey, what's Mr. Church? Hey, what's Eddie Murphy doing? It looks like it's real thoughtful. I would rent that film, and I would enjoy that. So I think it's a good rental. I'm not sure it's a big theater movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't care what anybody thinks about Eddie Murphy, whether he needs to make a, you know, Dr. Doolittle 5 <gasps> Or you know he just he, I think this, I think this is kind of a nice little thoughtful choice. It's not the best thing he's ever done, but it's certainly not the worst um that pluto Pluto movie he made <laughs> is the worst, but I thought he should have won the Oscar for Dream Girls. I think he's really, really interesting, mm-hmm. so I so liked it does I, I, he
1: know how to cook though, or is it just them kind of talking around cooking so I I wa- get to see I'm it. watching the
0: food skills in this movie, and I think they're adequate Okay, I, I never. Does he know how to
1: chop? He makes (laughs) eggs and omelets, and he
0: he does. He makes he chops. They always show a close up of. I don't know if it's his hands or somebody else's, but it seems confident. He's he seems like he knows what he's doing. There wasn't a moment in the movie where I
1: where didn't believe his knife skills. It
0: it it broke the plane of of uh, believability because he he has no idea. No, I felt the whole time that he was actually cooking. Nice, whether he did or not, he probably didn't. But the food's good in it, and he also reads books. And teaches the little girl to read uh, to read good literature, hmm. Tessa the D'Urbervilles, um, Moby Dick. She's He's got this little kid growing up reading, and he's a very art. Uh, he's a chef. He's in the 70s. He lives alone, comes and helps the family, believes in literature, believes in jazz music, plays piano. And so he's a very cultural guy mm-hmm. living in this family and teaches them a lot. And, of course, in these kind of cliched movies, as much as he teaches them, they t- teach him. So, that's kind of, it's, there's no real mystery to the movie. Right. It's, and it covers 30 years and multi-generations. So, I like Mr. Church. Nice. It's a quiet little movie that I thought was admirable. I wouldn't I wouldn't overpay for it. Does that make sense? <laughs>
1: Absolutely. And I'm kind of
0: proud of Eddie Murphy for doing for this.
1: For doing so. something that's probably rather not the norm.
0: Not the norm. No. And I, th- I think that's going to help him down the road in some other parts, I think. Yeah.
1: So, sounds like it's a film with a chef, but not necessarily about a chef. Yes, so we're going to talk about a wine <laughs> from a winemaker who started as a chef, but then moved on to other things because she too is an artist, and that's Mia klein Mia klein uh grew up Southern California, then moved to northern California uh, started as a chef and worked in in restaurants throughout San Francisco, then decided to kind of follow her path and her passions into wine, which i Totally, personally relate to because at one point I thought I would be a chef and chose the wine path instead.
0: So she was a chef in San Francisco.
1: She so. and it, I, yes, she I mean, was working in, a big in restaurants. Food city. Yeah, she was yeah. working in restaurants in in San Francisco, okay. but then kind of wanted to follow her path. Um, went to UC Davis was a part of of kind of the early the early days of of Napa Valley women winemakers. Went to UC Davis with Pam Starr and Celia Welch and and kind of. Um, Started out, she got she you know, a lot of a lot of the women, a lot of just winemakers in Napa in the time, kind of right place, right time, got a job at Chapelet, um, moved on to Coruscant. Um, while she was at Chapelet, though, she met one of, of kind of who she's called one of her biggest mentors, who is another winemaker that we love, and that's Tony Soder, who now has his Soder wines in Oregon. But in Napa was a consultant for many great, great producers. Um Including his etude that he um, started in, in uh, Carneros with these great heirloom clones of Pinot Noir and his fantastic Cabernet that we love, but she um, she kind of quickly became uh, a go to for for some of these what we think are today these iconic Napa Valley um, Cabernets. She she went to work with Tony and his consulting. Um, he taught her what she still I think says earth kind of three of the most important things and that is include you have to have great soil you have to have the proper tawā which basically is your soil and your climate and your your slope the slope of the the terrain and the um, how how everything kind of comes together to create what would be the perfect um, the perfect grapes for the perfect wine. Um, you have to know when to pick because that was another thing back in the day in, in, in Napa Valley. Today, I think winemakers understand that you pick by taste, whereas a lot of winemakers really throughout – Throughout California, especially as as some of these regions were trying to figure out who they were, they would just go by by the sugars of of the fruit. And when when you're basically it's your bricks, which are sugars that are converted into alcohol, um, hit a certain level, that's when you picked. And it didn't matter if the fruit was tasted good. That was you know it was just kind of very um, going by the book instead of going more by feeling and. And and then she she really knew how to how to not let anything get in the way of of making great wine, and I think that was another thing. Is as winemakers um, and and wineries kind of continue to to be bought and sold and go into bigger corporations, and and you know back office people kind of come in and try to. Make you make you do things a certain way at the end of the day, you kind of have to say, No, I'm here, I'm here to make great wine, and that's my focus. Me is the um, over her career, has been the winemaker for Spotswood, for Viader for Del Valley, for Arahu, for Bressler. Has wow. her own, yeah, it's incredible, incredible. Um, Cabernet wineries in Napa has her Celine wines, which I'm such a, an incredible fan of, small production. And and she's just still so passionate. We were um with her at the Kapalua wine festival, food and wine festival last year. And I'm just, you know, it's it's I'm in awe of her. I just am such a fan. And and appreciate that she has stuck to her guns for so long and, and really produces some beautiful, beautiful wines. Wow. I
0: mean, just because uh, and, and, you don't name drop, but you just name drop yeah. a bunch of wines a, that just incredible. I wine. love some of them are very expensive, some of them are reasonable. Yeah. But you're going to run to the gamut. So, her Celine, is it Celine? Is that a real pricey boutique wine?
1: Um, She, she makes, I think, four or five different wines within uh, the portfolio, including a Cabernet Franc that is yeah. just, I'm, um, over the moon about there and i mean you know 100 probably but that's napa valley it's napa valley fruit so i i think that if you it's it's Probably not the cheapest you're going to find, but no. it's not the most expensive.
0: So, if I'm going to watch Mr. Church and I'm going to pick one of these yes. wines she's worked on, yeah. oh, I'm going with a Rado. Right, right away, who
1: I knew you would. Right away. And I'd
0: go with Viadar any day of the oh, week, Well, too. and
1: I mean, and Spotswood is incredible, and yeah. Tavali is, is incredible, and we had an opportunity to taste it at Brussels several years ago and just fell in love with them. Yeah. they're You know, it's—but it's, I think it's because of the story and— and the ability to to find great fruit and to make really good wine and let your vineyard shine and and don't do things by what a book might tell you to do or by what the chemistry might tell you to do but at the end of the day great winemaking is because of 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 how it feels and and it is an artistic thing and you have to you have to appreciate the art that goes into it
0: i just love the idea that she was a chef turned into a winemaker yeah. that's really I, it, I think of you. I, I, I could see you doing that. Some, I, well,
1: let's just let's someday. just talk about wine. Well, <laughs> right. front, you know, Mr.
0: Church. Uh, okay, film. Uh, really great wine that you talked about. Hey, when wine and film—a perfect pairing—returns, Haley and I will continue our conversation. I have some stories to tell about meeting and interviewing both Eddie Murphy and the Great. And I want to be him when I grow up. Oh, yeah. Denzel Washington will be back.
1: And we're back on Wine and Film, A Perfect Pairing. We're talking about wine and film and a little bit of everything in between. And, Gary, you just uh, said you – I know that you've interviewed both Eddie Murphy and Denzel Washington for – so many years, Mm -hmm. and I know you want to talk about Eddie Murphy because you're great, but come on, like, let's talk Denzel. Oh,
0: Denzel. I mean, the two most handsome people in the world I've ever interviewed as men, I'm a flaming heterosexual, (laughs) and I'm sitting across the chair from either George Clooney or Denzel Washington, and I want to be both of those guys for a day. (laughs) Just put a gap in their teeth and send them... Send him on.
1: <laughs> Honey, but, you're perfect just as you are. You
0: know, Denzel Washington is just one of the most gracious. I, I've been interviewing him for 25 years. Is
1: he gracious? Is he a good Gracious.
0: Oh, looks you in the eye. I, I mean, really, literally. If you're going to list the five best people to talk to in the world. And his wife's a painter. His wife's an mm-hmm. artist. And he's just generous in conversation. He's, he's a lot like George Clooney in that he's kind of aware how famous he is but never mentions it. Mm-hmm. And if he does, he makes fun of it. Mm-hmm. But, but he's just so good. I mean, I like, he should have won the Oscar for Malcolm X. Mm-hmm. He did not, he won for training day. He won, he won for the wrong film. He's so great in American gangster that I, I can't take my eyes off him, but I've always liked him. He hasn't always been in great films, but he has a film coming out Christmas Day. Called Fences, which is an August Wilson play that James Earl Jones won, the Tony Award on Broadway Broadway for.
1: for Absolutely. And I've
0: been waiting for this movie to be made for years, and for years Eddie Murphy wanted to do this film, but it kind of outgrew him, and now it's Denzel doing it. And Denzel just how old is Denzel? Oh, good question. Got to be sixty, close to sixty, late, probably late fifties. I'm 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 making stuff up here because I don't really don't know his age. Fifty seven. Him and Eddie Eddie are both probably both. Both in their mid fifties, but Denzel's always been the guy for me that I always, you can put him in almost any film. You don't have to, you don't have to cast him in, in any kind of box. He can be the good guy, the bad guy. That's
1: just it. Cause he can, he can be the yeah. coach and remember the Titans. Yep. And then he can be like crazy alcoholic. Yes. Airline pilot in flight? Oh, in flight. And he's
0: so good in flight.
1: And then he can be like crazy drug dealer. Yeah. And, and so it's. Yeah. And he, he can be
0: that bad cop in oh training man, day and oh win yeah. an Oscar. You know, he goes all the way back to glory. That wonderful oh, yes, Civil with, War film. Um, with, with, with Morgan Freeman. With Morgan Freeman and Matthew Broderick. Yeah. So I, I like him. So Eddie Murphy comes along and I started, I've interviewed Denzel probably 20 times. But Eddie Murphy maybe five because sometimes he wouldn't show up. <laughs> and it, I remember asking Eddie Murphy once in an interview because Halle Berry ran off and did a little film called Monsters Ball and won the Oscars. Absolutely, Eddie yeah. Murphy did giant one hundred million dollar films and it was never nominated for anything.
1: But and, they weren't, were they? There.
0: <laughs> well, I said to him I, in an interview, I said, "Have you ever wanted to not worry about making money and taking care of everybody? Because all of his family works on all this stuff." and just do a film for the love of doing it and maybe do something better and he looked at me and go why would i why would i not why would i ever do that when i can have my own trailer and all my own stuff so it said a lot to me because he he's wasn't a, he's okay out. with
1: yeah he's okay with just making money
0: well and then he started and then after that he did dream girls because he's not the star of dream girls he's one of them in dream girls and i thought oh, all right he finally got it and then with even with mr church doing something small he didn't make any money on mr church or his normal stuff I mean, he's a $20 million guy. Mr. Mm -hmm. Church was made for eight. Mm -hmm. So he made nothing on it. And, uh, so once I'm in an interview with him, this is my worst day ever in interview. So every once in a while, I'm horrible at what I do. And I remember walking to, it was one of the Dr. Doolittle movies or one of those movies. And I, I, and he talked about himself in the third person. He talked, (laughs) called himself Mr. Eddie Murphy.
1: Oh my God. And I, and, and, uh.
0: And I said, the first thing I said out of my mouth is, I was surprised that you made me laugh in this movie. And I wanted to take all the words back. It was just an off day for me. And he looked at me and then the third person said, so you're surprised you laughed at an Eddie Murphy comedy? And I said, well, that's not what I meant. What I meant was I, I was really excited that this was funny. Well, why does that surprise you? And then by the end of the horrible. Just, stop. just end, end, of the, yeah. <laughs> end of the horrible interview. And I'll end with this. I said to him, thanks again for making me laugh. And he said, blank you. <laughs> Blank you, <laughs> blank you, <laughs> and I deserved it. This is one of the worst interviews Man, of my life. Did you get that on
1: camera? You know, I'm not sitting here. I'm not <laughs> trying to fall. I'm just trying
0: to ask questions, and I shouldn't talk about my feelings in an interview. And you just kind of get into trouble when you do that. So, yeah, that was that was it for me, for at least Denzel. So, I have a question for you. So, harvest season, and you mentioned this about about harvest and picking up bricks and yeah. picking at certain times. We're in full swing in harvest now yeah, for wine. Yeah. In fact, some of it's pretty much already over. How is the 2016 vintage shaping up? Let's talk about America first and then maybe Europe after that. So how are we, how is the vintage now?
1: Well, I think it is interesting because, um, and thanks. That's a good question. Uh, it's early. I and think every once in a while,
0: I have a little knowledge of you wine. You
1: know everything. Uh, uh, I have a little knowledge. But I think that it's, it's as an, Overall, what we've seen every year for the last probably ten years is every year it gets a little earlier. Um, I think that that's why the whole riesling discussion we had a few weeks ago is so interesting because riesling will probably be grown in like the hottest and and and. Hundred years, Riesling's going to be grown in like what is now desert land <laughs> or wow. something because it's it, you know the cool weather varieties are what we're going to end up needing because it's things are getting so much earlier and
0: Are you saying earlier because of it's
1: global warming global
0: is warming? real? People. It's, it's real in the wine industry and you for really very yeah I so. think
1: that in, in the agriculture industry as a whole you really see that and so um, I think it was a little bit earlier I know that that some regions started. Um, earlier than normal Texas being being one for some of the the vineyards. Um, I think um, California, Napa in particular, thankfully they had some good rain early um, in, in the, the year. So kind of winter rains filled the reservoirs and and helped things. But, you know, I, I still think that they're struggling. But I, I think that it's... But
0: it could be a good year I for I think Napa. it's going
1: to be, you know, I think that, that 10 and 11 were not very good. I think 12, 13... Twelve and thirteen were great. Yes. Um, twelve was was a little bit smaller. Thirteen um, was was big, and were, I think both twelve and thirteen were both big and high quality. I think fourteen was a little bit smaller, but still really good quality, and fifteen um, was, from what I understand, great concentration. I think that the drought was kind of hurting some of fifteen, but I think that that's now been helped this year. Or so. I think it'll be nice and and good quality as well as 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 good quantity, which is something that that we love um by the <coughs> way, I
0: light up when I see a twelve when I yeah, see a twelve yeah. Napa cab I just light well
1: up. and I think that's exciting because a lot of the the some are releasing their some wineries are releasing their two thousand twelves now some are releasing the thirteens and they're they're Incredible, and yeah. and some wineries are already onto their fourteen. So, it's always interesting to see how um, how long a, a winery will hold this wine or that wine um, to make sure that it has both proper oak aging as well as bottle aging before it actually uh, is put out into the marketplace. Because we do live in a, a culture where if you people aren't buying wine to store in their cellars anymore. They're buying wine to consume upon, you know, right upon release or right when they buy it. So it, it's... Raise your hand. Yeah, well, I think that wineries yeah. are, as a whole, they yeah. just are having to to, to take that into account that people aren't um, buying wines to store, they're buying wines to drink. And and so the time that that a winery might deliver or might put the, the wines out for release kind of has changed a little bit also. Is this a
0: good year for Oregon, Northwest?
1: I think so. Yeah. Um, when we were up in i was up in Walla Walla earlier this year in in Washington and it it's definitely dry but that's the whole thing about about Washington is as long as you've got water rights then you can it's always dry it's it's desert land people think Washington they think Seattle and and Wall of is dry and uh, hot West, and hundred uh, degrees. Eastern and,
0: Washington and Oregon are dry.
1: Yeah, very yeah, dry. So it's interesting. I think okay, it's interesting.
0: Europe. Oh, well, we covered a little bit of America, but Europe.
1: Um. It, for, so, it, France, I know is is going to have a, a pretty difficult year. They had some some pretty bad uh, hail and spring frost it's, that will affect France as a whole. Um, I think that they're projecting eight to ten percent down. Um, Champagne was one of the regions hit particularly hard. Um, I think they're projecting, projecting about 30 to 35% um, production down um, wow. this year. And Loire Valley. And Loire's kind of a that makes me sad also because there's been, um, I, I read an article not too long ago that I thought was kind of fascinating um, in Decanter Magazine about. Uh, there, there's kind of a there's kind of a war in Sancerre going on right now in the Loire Valley because there are the the AOC wines so kind of they're they're designated um, the the highest quality wines coming out that that have a designation um, the producers of these AOC wines are are trying to fight some of the the outlying areas that want to plant sauvignon blanc grapes in an area that's not an AOC region that would basically be mm. just like a table wine and um, some of the the producers like within Sancerre, within um Pouilly-Fumé uh, want to fight this because i think that the thought is that well if you have a sauvignon blanc from a just like and from a, a table wine region like their IGP wines um, which is the Vendipas, the the kind of just the table wines from the region not a, an actual designate that they'll take it, they'll be less expensive and mm. so they might actually take consumers from them and and there's one i think that there was a there were about 3 3000 no sorry 6 up to 6000 Vines in one particular vineyard were were uprooted by vandals. And no, somebody, no, stole, somebody w- stole a whole bunch of, of brand new vines in one of these kind of mm. um, outlying areas, and and the the IGP Val de Loire, um, and and so it's this horrible sabotage, and it's just it's just a, a it's an interesting conversation, and then to have production as a whole down and then to think that that they're also fighting amongst each other on you know who can grow what where it's it's i'd those, send those in those a French nanosecond
0: people. i would send uh Denzel Washington as an investigator <laughs> on over his horse. to loire And investigate this and solve it. Not on a horse, but in a nice suit, because that is one handsome man. Hey, next week on Wine and Film a Perfect Parent, Oscar winner Lupita Longo and David Oyelowo stars in one of the most meaningful films we've seen so far this year. It's the true story of a young girl living in poverty in Uganda. And wouldn't you know it, she changes her life by learning to play chess. It's a surprising Disney film. And it's directed by the great Miran Nar from India, and it's called Queen of Katwe, and I really love this film.
1: Yeah. Um, and we'll talk the Lone Star Lamont. We had, uh, it's an exhilarating, racing event that we had a chance to attend last weekend in Austin as a guest of uh Zonin 1821 their um the prosecco sparkling wine from Zonin we we love and had a chance to to go down there and 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 see their Ferrari race car and it was it was pretty cool so I bet we'll have some racing films to to pair with that also <laughs> So. <laughs> they don't
0: have horns on those cars.
1: But for now, if you'd like any more on any of the wines or films we talked about today, please follow our blog on Cogillconsulting.com. And to see what we're drinking and seeing now, follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Dallas Uncorked and Gary on Twitter at Gary Cogill.
0: And with that, I'm Gary Cogill and as usual, I'm looking for the next great film.
1: And I'm Haley Hamilton Cogill, and I'm always in search of a great glass of wine.
0: You can join us next time on Wine and Film, A Perfect Pairing.